This is the Yob ConvoCast, one-on-one conversations with your other brother's authors, community members, supporters, and friends. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the special Enneagram edition of the Yob ConvoCast as we go all the way around the Enneagram and talk to people in our community who identify with each of the nine types and learn a little bit about how their Enneagram type manifests in the areas of sexuality and masculinity, the things that we love to talk about here at Your Other Brothers. Um, We've already done types eight and nine, and today we are completing the gut triad with the Enneagram one. And I was just joking with our guest today that when I first was prepping this series, when this this series was a a twilight in my eye, a little twinkle in my eye, I was trying to figure out, can we do this? Is it possible? Um, The two numbers that, well, one of the numbers that brought me some trepidation, wondering, is there somebody out there that can adequately represent this type and give us something to talk about? Um, It was talking to an Enneagram one. And I'm so glad that this person is in my life, is in our community's lives, because he is just He's a great, he's just a great person. And I'm so excited that for the very first time, the Yob listening audience gets to hear from him as he shares. It is an Enneagram One named Jesse. What's up, Jesse? Hello, Tom. I'm so excited to be here. I love the Enneagram and Yob, of course. So glad to be able to talk to you about this. You love the Enneagram and you love Yob. And here you are where those two things blissfully intersect it's like yes, the perfect my bread and butter. you're like swimming in the venn diagram of this <laughs> of this existence for the next hour i'm so excited for you <laughs> yes, uh, thank you wow <laughs> and i'm excited for me and i'm excited for our listeners do you want to share a little bit about yourself because there are people listening this is your yobcast your yob convocast debut which is really exciting because my hope is that we'll have at least one or two others as we make our journey around the enneagram that you won't be the only one, that there'll be a couple other people making their um, their podcast debut on this network as well as we learn about our community members through the lens of the Enneagram. So tell the listeners who you are, a little bit about yourself before we start diving into the deep end. Yes, I would love to. Um, so as you heard, my name is Jesse. I am a... Uh, Currently a Raleigh native, although I've moved around quite a bit over my lifetime, but as of right now, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, the city of Oaks. City of Oaks? Yes, represent. Um, It's so weird, by the way, to talk to someone from the city of Oaks, and it's not Ryan, who was- I know, I know. But it is also fitting that back-to-back episodes, Ryan did such a great job representing the nines on our last episode, and now you get to stay in the city of Oaks representing the ones. Yes, yes. Honestly, yeah, Ryan did do such a great job with the nines. But enough about Ryan. Um, I know. Who cares about Ryan right now? This is you. Honestly. This is the Jesse show. Uh, I have, as I said, I moved around a lot. Um, I moved to Raleigh for school about six years ago. Um, And as of right now, it seems like the Lord is going to be keeping me here for the time being. Um, Long term, what I feel called to do and what I feel very passionately about is doing counseling as missions work overseas. Um, That is something I felt called to do since I was around eight years old. Mm. Um, And just a brief overview of my story. I began following Jesus when I was six. 
um, began working through a lot of questions of uh, gender and sexuality when I was 12. Um, there was a really long, painful period just basically throughout my whole teen years um, of really just trying to ignore that. Um, uh, I was very much focused on just a perspective that for me, and I, we can kind of get more into this later, but for me, my understanding of faith at that point was I'm a Christian and Christians don't deal with this stuff. So clearly this isn't actually a real thing that I'm struggling with. And so just kind of pushed the way to the back of my mind until, until I couldn't anymore. Um, and as I began working, working through it more intensely, beginning my college career, um, the Lord was really gracious to place a multitude of really wonderful friends and people in my community um, both straight and, um, also side B friends who have been, been very crucial in helping me get to where I'm at now. So it's a little bit about me. Well stated, well put, and it may be the first time our greater listening audience is getting to know you, but I know you're, you're fairly active in our community. You've come to our retreats. You have a beautiful voice. You've, you've, you've helped lead us in worship at various gatherings. So I just, I'm so giddy. I'm so excited that you're participating in this podcast right now because we do have other ones in our community. It's not as um, scant of a population as other types, but, but it's also not one of our like abundant areas as well. And so um, there's not many to choose from. And I'm glad, I'm just glad that you erased the doubt of, gosh, do we have a one? Do we have a willing one out there who will share? And so I'm excited for us to get to know how you're wired and hopefully how a bunch of our of our um, our listeners, our community members are wired as well, because we do have a, a fair smattering of ones. So it'll be good to, to talk about all of this with you guys. I'm excited. So the Enneagram, once again, it's a tool, one of many that we use to learn about ourselves, to learn about each other, um, and to pursue growth. So it's something that we have found beneficial. Um, Jesse, have you found the Enneagram beneficial? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have. You made a joke. You you joked with me, I think, leading up to this episode that because I, I told Ryan in our last episode very confidently, actually, that Ryan is the person who knows the Enneagram best out of everybody I'm going to talk to on this series. I decreed it. Um, and then you were like, hold on, hold, hold on, Tom. Wait, wait until my episode. Something I'm paraphrasing. But, um, but you know a little bit about it, too, right? And so I'm excited to, to pick your brain on what you've learned about this whole personality system. Yes, yes. Um, I've, I've actually been studying it for getting on towards five years now, and it has been hugely helpful for me. Like, but it's, uh, I've actually told a lot of people, I attribute it as one of, uh, one of three main things over the last few years that has contributed greatly to my personal and spiritual growth as an individual, um, paired with, uh, having just really good solid community to work through a lot of questions of faith and sexuality and gender with. Um, and then also just um, having a, a really good solid understanding of my own personal faith and a really good connection with the Lord. Um, I would say those three things have been like really key in helping me get to where I'm at now. So that's beautiful. Very grateful for the Enneagram. You mentioned people, community. Um, 
therapy and counseling, another great thing, finding a church, finding spiritual disciplines like scripture and prayer. These are all fantastic tools and ways that we grow um, spiritually, growing emotionally, growing relationally. These are all all part of the all the part of the kit and caboodle. So, yes, um, yes. so we're excited to explore one of those things specifically, the Enneagram in this series. Um, let's get to the meat of the matter here. So, all of the information I draw from, as always, comes from truity.com. We'll have a link to Truity where you can also take your Enneagram assessment, which is my favorite assessment that I have found out there that doesn't cost money. So, if you guys want to check that out, if you haven't already. Um, also, bits from stress and security come from EnneagramGift.com, and so we'll be talking about that later in the conversation as well. So thanks to those two websites for providing a lot of content. Thanks to the Yabbers. We had a few ones out there respond to the feedback, so it's exciting. I'm excited to read their responses to these questions and to hear your responses as well, Mr. Jesse. And let's talk about Enneagram Ones. The One's primary passion or vice is anger, and I want to reference it at the top because um, it's not something we're going to like explicitly focus on. But as we have this conversation, Jesse, if anger comes up, <laughs> if, you get, if you suddenly become angry, um, please feel free. Just let it out because we want to interject that into the conversation, however however it appeals. But um, oh boy, do I have quite a bit of anger <laughs> right now. This is a very timely podcast, I will say. Okay, okay. I'm excited. Well, I'm not excited, but I, I'm excited for the timeliness, I guess, to see how the <laughs> anger manifests. Um, before we even get to the description, something that I find unique about the one is that it has, um, you know, there's all these monikers that each of the types go by. So last time we talked about the peacemaker, the nine, the time before that we talked about the challenger, the eight, um, the one often goes by a title that I feel doesn't evoke a positive connotation, at least from my vantage point. Um, a lot of times the, the name that it goes by is the perfectionist which kind of sounds negative to me. I was going to get your feedback on that because I've always preferred calling it the reformer. Some of them have alternate names and some are, I don't know, I mean, there's pros and cons to what you call each of these things, but I've always preferred the reformer just because perfectionist does sound more of a negative connotation than a, a redeeming one. But how do you how do you interpret that just title just right off the bat as we get started here? Yeah, I honestly have actually prefer the perfectionist over the reformer. Okay, okay. Although I have grown to appreciate both. Um, I do think the benefit of the term reformer is that it doesn't necessarily require perfection, hmm. which is what one of the things that I really like about it. Um, and, and that's something that I, I have recognized is, especially as I've gotten to know more ones in my life, there are there are ways, and, and I think especially when you uh, uh, think of the term perfectionist, there are certain connotations and understandings that come with that term that don't apply to everyone. Um, for instance, I think a lot of people assume that because I I, I definitely am a perfectionist, um, but because I am a perfectionist, a lot of people assume that every aspect of every part of my life is going to be very strict, orderly. Um, organized, uh, seamless, which is true for a lot of areas, but it's not true everywhere. Um, and and I think there are other ones where perfection is not always in the foreground of their thinking process. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are ways where one's primary goals, especially centering around like 
um, justice and, and again, like reform, creating change for something that is better um, does not always mean perfection along with that. Mm. Um, sometimes reform and change looks very messy. And I think there are ones who look very clean and neat and orderly and ones who look very messy. Um, but it doesn't uh, take away from that core desire, that core motivation. And that's one of the things I've appreciated about um, kind of each of those terms and the differences that it kind of brings about. Okay. I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I, I did, I just assumed that perfectionist was frowned upon and I would, re, I would use reformer. So if I interchange those two, you're okay with either of those yes, monikers. I'm totally fine okay. with either one. Okay, cool. Um, well, let's read, read the description and see if it resonates for our ones out there listening or for someone who has no idea what, what type they might be, or if they're curious, or if they feel like that might appeal to them. Um, Here's how Truity describes the one. Ones like to do things correctly and to high standards, are sticklers for rules and pay close attention to detail. They also avoid making mistakes. To others, they appear perfectionistic, responsible, and exacting. Ones are typically sticklers for rules and details and get frustrated when things don't live up to their very high standards at work, in relationships, or in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, I would say that's pretty spot on. Um, anyone that that I know and have interacted with, regardless of where they fall, again, on that, on that spectrum that I kind of gave earlier of maybe looking more perfectionistic or not, all of them are, are very, have very strong feelings about, um, about the rules, about orderliness, um, and, and really about um, sticking to that and to, I would even say to an extreme sometimes, um, doing anything that they can to, um, to follow those rules, even if it, um, gets to the detriment of their, um, of their own lives, uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, I, I think that, can be one of both both the strengths and the weaknesses of the one is um, they're really great about setting the standard and really sticking to the rules regardless of what the rules are. But also because of that, it can be uh, it can be really easy for ones to I think follow rules and guidelines that can actually be really harmful to mm. them, and so. It, it can take a lot of work to find that distinction, but um, I would say like, again, that is, that is very much a primary goal and focus for a lot of ones. And um, that's, that's part of why ones want to seek change for the betters because rule and order is, is good. Like a lot of people see it as bad, but it's, it's such a good thing for people's lives. And um, it's, I think it's hard for, me when I want people to see that and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting because I feel like the Enneagram gives you probably a lot of language to understand this whole affinity for rules and and the concept of change and reform. Um, like I'm excited to have this conversation and just to see like the things that you've learned as we as we talk about stress and security and fear mm-hmm. and, and your motivations um, for operating in this world. Um, before we get there though, the 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 stat of it all. I love reading the stats. 
Um, and Truity's study of more than 54,000 respondents type 1s were found to make up approximately 10% of the population. And what I found fascinating is because they split it up into males and females. According to their study of 54,000 people, it was exactly the same. 10% of women, 10% of men. So it was just an even 10% across the board. Um, I love a good condition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't favor the men. Favor the, like when we had the eights, it favored more men. Um, I think nines, it was one or two percentage points are, are different. But this one, super consistent. Um, and then in our Yob community, as we revealed on our Enneagram Yobcast, according to our study, not of 54,000 people, but of like, I don't know, 50 people, um, five to seven, five to seven percent make up our community, at least those who know who they are. So that's that's kind of where we're coming from is maybe maybe slightly less than the general population, but who knows? We're, we're just kind of, we have some bare bones, bare bones statistics. Um, so let's dive into motivations, motivations of the one. Ones strive to be good and honorable and to live a life with purpose. They seek the best and most correct way of doing things. So Jesse, how do, how do the motivations of a one intersect um, with your sexuality, with your gender identity, with how you connect with other men, either gay or straight? So as I started learning about the Enneagram, it really fascinated me how, how integral it was to all of my life. Um, I wasn't surprised when I found out the type that I was. I was actually kind of pleased because when I started reading it, I was like, almost right away. I was like, I'm definitely one. I don't even have to read the rest mm -hmm. because it was so accurate. Um, and, and a large part of that is my dad, who's a pastor has done any and every personality inventory under the sun. Like if you can think it and name it, he's probably done it. And by proxy, so have me and my siblings. What's his, um, what's his Harry Potter house? <laughs> He is a Gryffindor. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure um, he knows. There you go. Yes, he does. In fact, we have one of every house in my family. Um, no way. My mom, who, my mom who, who thinks it's of the devil. Uh, <laughs> so she's uh, another house entirely. Yeah. She's she's a mystery house. Who knows what she is? But out of, of the ones of us that know, the other four, we have one of every Harry Potter house. <laughs> That's so cool. But yeah, it was... It was really interesting to me because as I started learning more and getting more language, I realized a big driving factor for me um, in my in my faith, which then translated into my processing of sexuality, is I I strive to be I have I have yeah I have strived strived striven I don't know what that word is stroven <laughs> stroven there we go sure. Uh, whatever, whatever that word is, striven, striven. Uh, I have sought to be the most perfect Christian that I can be. Um, as and especially as I started following the Lord when I was six, and had more more limited scope. Like I, I had a good understanding of good base knowledge, which is how I came to follow Jesus. Um, thanks to thanks to my parents and just how wonderfully they they laid it out um both through words and actions like i i had a limited understanding of of what that process would look like but i knew um at, just from the knowledge i had at the time generally what following a christian looked like and some of that may have been cultural christianity some of it may have just been general church stuff but i knew it looked a certain way and i wanted to be the perfect example of a christian um, that led to very 
pharisaical tendencies mm-hmm. in my in my younger years of holding everyone to a very high standard um and not not really recognizing my own faults there um but once i got to that point again like i mentioned earlier where i started working through questions of sexuality because me being gay and me being gender dysphoric did not fit into what i understood the life of a christian to look like um and not really having anyone else to kind of bounce that off of i just immediately pushed it to the side because it didn't fit and so it wasn't going to have any meaning or um part of my life um and my hope was just that if i pushed it away enough um and and held it back that eventually it would just kind of go away um i've i've told a lot of people that I, because I grew up kind of towards the end of ex-gay movement, pray the gay way type of stuff. I couldn't even get to the point of praying it away because I wasn't even willing to acknowledge it as part of my life. Um, Because I was so focused on, I have to be a perfect Christian. And if I'm not a perfect Christian, the Lord will not accept me. Um, That, and, and that was really a really hard mindset for me to live in for such a long time. Um, I I had a base understanding of of salvation and I knew that I was saved, but because of my my focus on wanting to be perfect, I I quickly shifted into I have to do these certain things in order to follow Jesus in order to be perfect, um, and that that became all of my life's focus um and that spread into my relationships into my work um and it got it got to a really unhealthy place for for a while um yeah i think that's been some of the biggest ways where it's really intersected into my own life of striving for perfection especially in my my faith and my sexuality yeah thank you for sharing all that because i imagine lots of people listening would resonate just as I hope this series does for everybody. It's like, you don't have to be a one to, to have the the mindset of, I need to clean myself up first before I approach Jesus or before I pray or before I have, um, before I go to church or before whatever my spirituality looks like, whatever my relationship with God looks like, it has to be perfect first before I can enter into that. Like, I know that's something that a lot of people can wrestle with, but especially through the lens of the one, um, I imagine that that could be just super defeating was it just literally pretending it didn't exist or or noticing it but then just not consciously thinking about it or was that a journey over many years like how how did that come to be yeah so i'm not going to get into the the whole of it because it's a it's a longer story but during um during my 12th year of life um which to date has been the most difficult year i've experienced um so far there was a a slew of things that happened to me and then more extended to my family my immediate family um it felt like pretty much simultaneously um and for context every everything that that was happening was occurring while my dad was deployed overseas to afghanistan um so we also had the added stress of 
all these things happening and my father being overseas. Um, so for me, and I, I wouldn't have been able to verbalize this at the time, but thinking back, I can recognize now that what happened is I had all these things happening. Um, I, I think whenever I list it out, it winds up being a like a list about of about like six or seven things in total that were either happening to me or to me and my family um, that are, are really hard, heavy things for anyone to deal with, even if it's just one of those items, much less five or six. And so what happened is I basically made a priority list. I love lists. Um, Most (laughs) ones tend to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I made a priority list in my head. And so if it wasn't something that I felt like was a big priority, um, or in, in this case, I didn't feel like fit with what my understanding of being a Christian looked like, then then it went straight to the back of my mind, um, complete, completely ignoring it because it wasn't something that I even had the capacity to deal with at that point. Gotcha. Um, and, and so recently the last few years have been a process of me basically kind of digging back to that, that part of my mind where I've been hiding these things for so long and having to bring it back to the front and actually deal with it after, um, almost 12 years now of, of not dealing with some big, heavy issues. Um, so I, I would say that's been, that's been the main processes, um, intentionally like pushing it away and ignoring it, um, for, uh, I mean, in, in a way it was almost a survival tactic because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to make it through that season if I had tried to deal with it all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I love I love the phrase um that's in the description seeking seeking the best and most correct way of doing things. And so I imagine in your 12-year-old mind this was the correct way to go about it. Like you create this hierarchy of needs and you tackle mm-hmm. the most pressing one and then the ones that are down further get less attention if any at all. Um like that was your methodology and that was your and I love that you mentioned mm-hmm. lists cuz yeah, the ones that I know all about the lists as well. Well, Jesse, let's read some feedback from our wonderful yobbers, and then you can chime in if anything they say speaks to you. So let's read the first one. Um, Going back to that description, someone said this, I resonate with the core motivator, um, especially with finding the best and right way to do things. I would add that there's an element of proving myself or being justified as to not be questioned or criticized for my actions, especially when I'm trying to advocate for others. In terms of my sexuality, the inner critic quote unquote, known to the ones, known to the ones tends to work a lot more as I try to balance what should my sexuality look like when there's constant pressure from different groups. I want to do the right thing, whether that's being side B or how I label myself even. Blended with my sensitive nature, being a one has made me the parent in my friend groups. An example being my college roommate and best friend would always say I was quote unquote momming him when I, should, when I would get onto him and his atrocious sleep schedule or other things that I felt were not good for him. Jesse, do you, do you mom your friends? Oh my gosh. Do or, do you just, or do you just judge them? Would you say the ones are the judgiest of the Enneagram types? Do you want to, do you want to take yes. that mantle? Okay. So if you guys know a judgy person, they might be a one. Yes. There's, there are, I think there's a few, there's a couple of types, um, 
I would also say eights are very judgy. Mm, um, that would I think, agree. Yeah. I think eights and ones, from my experience, are two of the judgiest Judies <laughs> in the Enneagram circle. Um, yes, I completely agree with like everything everything this person said. Um, the I, I wasn't planning on bringing up the inner critic at this point, but that has also been a huge factor, um, for me. And, and I've, I've listened to a few other ones on different podcasts talk about how, um, not, not everyone has, not every one has the inner critic, but, um, for those of you who don't know the inner critic, um, which is the experience of a lot of type ones is just this, uh, it it almost feels like a conscience, but it's more than that, where it's this constant nagging voice in the back of my head that is really pushing me and challenging me and questioning every part of what I'm doing. Like, is that the best way you could have done this? Or shouldn't you have said it this way instead of that way? Or, uh, wow, I can't believe you messed that up, man. You're doing such a terrible job at this task right now. And, um, yeah, it's, I think, especially where he's talking about the element of proving myself or being justified as to not be questioned or criticized for my actions. I think that is tied very closely to the aspect of the inner critic because I am always um, with that inner critic being heavily criticized mm-hmm. with everything that I do. Um, it's something I, I can't escape, can't get away from. And so when I have outside voices then coming and criticizing or questioning me um it it becomes really hard for me because then I feel like I'm being attacked on all sides um I do I take it very personally I get mm-hmm. very defensive um it's been it's been really hard for me to to work through that and actually get to a point where I can receive criticism and recognize that not every critique is coming from a place of harm or negativity um criticism can be good it can be use for for growth but um it took me a long time to to get to that point um and the momming definitely do that (laughs) i especially especially when i'm in a position of leadership um so i've i do this a lot at my job and when when i was the ra oh my gosh i was momming everybody because I feel like an RA is a good job for a one. It it was, it was really good. Very challenging for me, but I, I really loved it. Um, and, and I hate to say it, but I was the best RA everyone. Oh, I have, I have no doubt. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, things have kind of gone downhill at, since I left. <laughs> There's probably um, a seven in charge now and it's chaos, chaos. I don't even know. It's, it's a mess. But anyway, um, all that aside, like I, because a lot of ones are able to see how things are, uh, are broken or maybe could be tweaked to be made better, um, it can be a really great strength when you're in a, a field of work where things need to be adjusted and um, perfected and made better along the way. It's not so great when you're working with people where you can see the things that need to be fixed and the ways that their lives can be made better, but they're not willing to listen to you on that. <laughs> yes, that's 
people will do their own thing and that's how it goes. I feel like mm-hmm. we're hitting all the buzzwords, which I love. Like we're, we've already said judgy, we've said lists, we've said perfectionist, we've said inner critic. So I feel like we're hitting all the points. We're getting, we're getting further and further. Do I get bingo on the next I know one. one bingo. We'll see what else we get. <laughs> Let's read a couple more for motivation. Someone said this, I generally agree, especially with the desire to be good and honorable. Integrity feels very important, not only for myself, but I want others to have it too. And I want my life to count and be more than average. Um, The longing to be upright relates to my sexuality and that I want to live with it well as I walk with Jesus. I feel motivated to be a good example to others in our position. I imagine there's probably a lot of crossover, like specifically with a side B or a traditional um, sexuality, however you want to define it or however you want to label it. Like I'm sure there's probably a lot of direct parallels to to oneness, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The integrity part, especially. I I, I love being able to help people get to that point and, and for myself to do that as well. Absolutely. And then finally, the last person said this, I tend to always see the problem. There might not be a problem in anyone else's view, but my radar is always on alert to find what is wrong or out of place or could be better. It jumps out at me when everyone seems oblivious that a problem exists. There's probably a better way to do it, and it is probably my way. I had a coworker who told me that he could sense me judging him. This really opened my eyes to how critical I could be with others. I'm always hard on myself, but I didn't know how evident it was that even when I didn't say anything to others, they sensed my judgment. This rigidness has impacted how I try to serve Jesus, but I am learning to have grace for myself and for others. Being gay has its own unique struggles as it relates to appearing morally good. I think for a lot of my life, this has largely meant appearing straight. Yep. Uh, It's fun to read all these comments and just out of my peripheral vision, seeing you nodding. (laughs) It's like, okay, I think this is landing. I think he's also agreeing with this. Yeah, I, oh my gosh, especially like having other people sense when I am judging them or critiquing them, even Mm -hmm. if I'm not saying anything. So I I have a lot of people who can just like look at me and be like, stop judging me. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not, but I actually am. (laughs) I feel like, so Jesse, you and I have hung out several times now, but I can't remember a time where we've hung out where you've judged me. So we need to hang out and you need to, I need, I need to experience this feeling of you judging me from a distance. I want to feel that. <laughs> Just feeling your cold, hard stare I, or whatever. I, it looks I don't like. know. I don't know if you really want that. <laughs> I do. I do. I want to feel it. Okay. Oh, we boy, could get, boy. we could get trapped in the one. We got to keep going, but um, let's, right, right, let's, go. let's go to the one's deepest fear um, and tell me how this lands with you. One's fear being bad people morally flawed or otherwise seen as imperfect. They cope with this fear by being rigidly disciplined and very hard on themselves and often those around them too. Mm. Um, So yeah, how do you feel about that, your deepest fear? And then how does that connect to all these areas of sexuality and gender identity? Uh, Yeah, it's um, that has been one area that has uh, resonated with me a lot and played heavily again into how I live my life because I always feel like I'm walking a thin line, walking a tightrope in um, every circle that I'm in. Um, I would would also add specifically as as a Christian, um, a fear of being seen as impure Mm. um, to the Lord. Uh, That has been one area where 
Um, the last couple of years, I've been really working through this, this idea and this understanding of what it means and what it looks like to be seen as pure in, in the eyes of God. Um, and there's been some aspects of that where, where it's really been difficult and painful and, and ways where it's brought up things that I wasn't fully aware of in myself. Um, cause I, I think a lot of times we, we think of purity as just sexual purity, but there's, I mean, look at, looking at the old Testament and the Levitical law, like there, there was a whole list of, um, rules and regulations and sacrifices that they had to offer that were connected to every area of life, including the, the one sacrifice a year that covered all the sins for all the people that they may have missed throughout the whole year. Um, and just realizing like how, how the Lord is pure and holy, but also recognizing again, as a Christian, like I, I don't have to live by that law anymore because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Um, he, he covers my, my iniquities and takes on the shame that I, that I've experienced that I still experience and, um, and makes me pure. And, and that has been such a great comfort for me, recognizing that like, I, I don't have to strive in good works to do certain things, to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that has to do with my sexuality, my relationships, my work, um, my spiritual life, um, the Lord sees me as, as pure and perfect because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. You don't have to strove in anymore. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> to take it back, to bring it back. Strove in. That's good. I mean, yeah, this, gosh, I feel, I feel a lot of crossover. I'm, I'm intentionally holding back. I have to tell this to everybody that I talk to is that I have so many thoughts as a four and I have specific thoughts as a four because there's a path to one for those that know the Enneagram and we'll get to stress and growth in a second. But I feel like there's a lot of parallel and a lot of crossover between things that you're sharing and it's the way it's hitting with me um, from my fourness. But that'll you guys will just have to listen to the four episode whenever that rolls around. We'll get there when we get there. Let's read what the yabbers had to say about the fear of the one. Um, this guy said this, I resonate with these fears. I want people to think I'm an above reproach person of integrity. So I try to portray myself as being totally in control of my inner life because I grew up in conservative circles where gay equals bad. I've often thought that because I'm gay, I am intrinsically a bad and flawed person, especially if I can't get it under control. At times in my life, this has driven me to try various methods to try to control or overcome my sexuality and temptations so that I can feel better about myself. It can be difficult to let other people in on deep parts of my life because I can feel so far from being presentable and put together. And that's this is something that's really giving me an empathy for ones in a whole new way because I've, I've been reading lots of comments about um, about all this, about portraying an image. Maybe, maybe there's some crossover with people who identify as threes, like this image consciousness. But um, but in relation to to being gay, like this is such a, like I've heard this refrain over and over and over again, this this need to clean up and this need to be, um, to look presentable or to be outwardly good, whatever that means, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Um, and how that there's this really deep connection to sexuality in this particular way. And it's, I don't know, it's been sobering to read, but it gives me a whole new, 
empathy, I guess, for, for people who, who really feel that in their core as a fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone else said this, the running narrative in my mind when things don't go well is there's something wrong with you or you aren't good enough. There's definitely some mental health aspects to this, but this is something I found in common amongst others who identify as ones, especially in social situations with men. I find this fear and this narrative at work because I don't want them to see something as wrong with me and then have grounds to abandon me. Add in the sexuality aspect, my mere existence has different groups wanting to have an opinion. Are my attractions already made me, making me a bad person? Am I okay as long as I remain celibate? Or am I homophobic if I don't embrace who I really am? Quote unquote. There's no pleasing everyone, which puts me on edge as I enter into new settings with different types of people. Yeah, I, all of that really good for, from both of them, actually. Um, especially the letting, the letting people in can be can be really hard. And I think both both of those yobbers touched on that is the idea of opening up and letting yourself be seen in the mess is really difficult, but really important too. Absolutely. Um, you can't you can't be fully known if you people don't see your mess. Yeah. Which is always lovely. It's always lovely to let people see the the Marie Kondo show inside. <laughs> um, yes. And the last person said this, I don't know that I ever really considered this a fear. I just considered it part of my perfectionism. You know, the verse in James that says, when you know the right thing to do and don't do it, you sin. This is considerably problematic for someone who tends to live in black and white. Leaning into gray has been a journey. I was very poetic and very visual. I liked the color, mm-hmm. the color metaphor. Leaning into gray has been a journey. <laughs> I do talk a lot about gray space now. So okay. I appreciate that. Okay. So there you go. Lean into the gray as a one. Um, get away from black and white. <laughs> get away Amen. from all the Amen. rigid. Yes. Um, ones in stress. Let's go there. Ones in stress. They take the happy journey to four. They go to the four type, which is yours truly's. Um, the individualist or the romantic. Uh, Here's the description on that. Ones in stress will take on qualities of fours. This attribute will cause them to start resenting those around them who are having fun. They also will start to be more sensitive to the criticism given to them, especially negative criticism. They become more critical and judgmental of themselves and those around them. During times of stress, ones will become the worst critics. Does that land pretty well with you as far as um, you taking the journey to my side of things. <laughs> yes. It's a fourness. It, it really does. And and I, I'm actually going to, as part of uh, this next section of the discussion, issue a challenge for ones and for all the types, actually. Um, an area that has been really helpful for me as I've been learning the Enneagram is realizing that just because you go to one number in stress and one in growth, um, particularly when you're thinking about your stress number, it doesn't mean you have to take on exclusively the negative traits. I can still make a move to four and I've learned how to make a move to four, even when I'm not stressed and be able to take on a lot of those positive and beautiful qualities of a four that I used to despise, but have grown to love. Um, (laughs) Good, good. I'm glad. Uh, I used to to hate that I went to four because my initial thought when I was reading is like, fours are emotional and moody and gross and emotions are Mm. illogical and uh, not beneficial for perfection. And so 
that was my initial process. But I, I've learned to recognize the beauty of four. And, and so being able to look at your stress number, whether it's a four or something else, if you're another type, um, being able to know your stress number and recognize, okay, I'm moving to fill in the blank number because I'm stressed. How can I do this in a healthier way? Because stress is not a bad thing. It's just your reaction to an environment that you are in. But how can you react in such a way where it actually provides a positive outcome? Um, And so that's that's been a huge turning point for me. But all those things are true. And especially when I was not as healthy and dealing with, uh, there's, there's some pretty strong ties for me with, um, depression and how like my, um, depressive tendencies and my fourness really connect, Mm -hmm. um, which has been an interesting journey. Um, but I, I become really critical. I will say for me, I, I don't always become as resentful. It, Sometimes I do, but I definitely become more piney. And what I mean by that is I, I begin, I begin pining after the things that I can't have of, oh, I, I, if only I had this thing or, um, or, or that, that man over there to be, to be my best friend and to help carry me through this hard season and hold me as I'm crying my heart out to him. Uh, maybe, maybe all these issues will go away. And, and that, that has been, uh, I feel like a more accurate um, depiction. And, and I think there is some resentment to that whenever I see people who are in those mm-hmm. spaces or maybe have that, that person that I think will make my life better. Um, but yeah, the, the criticism, especially uh, when I am in a negative headspace and going through a period of stress, when I get criticized, I go on the defensive, which means I go on the attack. And that is not a fun place for someone else to be in if they are on the receiving end of that. Um, so I've tried to be very uh, aware of when I'm in that space. So I don't wind up absolutely destroying someone in the midst of my own hurt and stress usually mm-hmm. is what's going on. You know, the line that talked about being resentful about people having fun around you, it really, for the first thing that came to mind was weird Jesus. I'm going to reference going, throwing it way back, <laughs> throwing it way back like 30 episodes ago, however long it was, we talked to weird Jesus on mm-hmm. the, on the Yabcast. The true ones know, they know who, who we're talking about. Um, but he, there's a line, something into the effect of like, he, he goes like, <laughs> he says something like, you're not supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be in church. <laughs> so it's like, he's like calling out people who are having fun and you're, you're supposed to not, you're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to be doing the right thing and sitting in church with your hands crossed and bored out of your mind. Like that's, that's the way to do this Christian mm-hmm. life. And it's yes. obviously it's a parody funny. on the real Jesus, but <laughs> yes, no, weird I, Jesus I, is I such a one. I think <laughs> honestly he is. <laughs> Um, no, I actually just rewatched those videos last week too. Oh, so, good. Oh, good. Again, so you're prepared. Then. Yes, yeah. I was prepared, ironically enough. Very but nice. But yeah. Here's yeah. Uh, some feedback on stress, the four like stress. Um, one of our yobbers said, the four like qualities definitely come up for me, especially when I feel alone. The jealousy and resentment are compounded, especially towards friends. 
The most consistent case of feeling resentment is for close friends who, are, who enter romantic relationships. It's an unfair thing to feel, but I get jealous that they have less time to spend with me, and I have a hard time accepting celebrating that positive development in their lives because it feels like they have something I will never find. I can also be more judgmental against them if I'm not careful. Learning that one's move to four qualities in times of stress was really helpful in examining how I behave in relationships with my friends. I think that's probably an applicable one for lots of people, ones or otherwise, who are in our community when um, Mr. Best Friend suddenly gets a girlfriend or whatever, whatever happens from there, because I think we've heard that story again and again. Mm -hmm. Someone else said this, I find myself moving towards isolation from others because my emotions are running high and will have things to share that are very hurtful, but I've rationalized in my head as something that needs to be addressed. On the flip side, I cannot take negative criticism in this state without completely shutting down. As a new teacher in a pandemic, it was easy to think that I was a bad teacher and not good enough and shut down after work. I find in my sexuality, it, become, it can become who has the bigger cross to bear. I tend to be judgmental of straight men or men in mixed orientation marriages because they don't have to deal with the same isolation or can at least hide from it. So they can't possibly understand everything I'm going through. In reality, this is my way of pushing people away because of the shame and stress that I'm experiencing. Yes, especially the pushing people away. Um, I whenever especially at before i understood the enneagram more i always felt like people were pushing me away when it was the opposite i was actually mm -hmm. the one pushing people aside because i was so stuck in my head um one of the things that i i know i tend to do and maybe other ones do this as well is when i get into that space i just begin to spiral which then causes me to just pull into myself and not want to reach out, not want to connect with people, not want to interact. Um, if I do wind up in a situation where I'm having to engage, I either just kind of sit and don't really talk or I say things that kind of bring down the mood um, and then people don't want to talk to me, uh, which then affirms what I am thinking in my head mm -hmm. um, and results in people or me and me pushing people away. Yeah. It can become like a self-fulfilling prophecy if uh, all the, all that energy goes into retreat and isolation and pushing people away. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to stay there, Jesse. We can go to security and get out of, get out of your fourness because One's in security, one of my favorite moves on the Enneagram. One's go to seven, which is the enthusiast. Um, and so let's read about that. Uh, seeing the good things in the world is a trait that ones exhibit during periods of growth. During periods of growth and security, ones will begin to take on qualities of seven. They will become more fun and spontaneous. Self-acceptance will be in abundance during periods of growth. They will want to try new things and be open to many new and exciting opportunities. So is that true for you? And how, how so, um, as we wrap this conversation down, um, talking about sexual gender identity and, and connecting with other men? Yeah, so I love that part of myself. Mm -hmm. um, 
Sevens are some of my favorite people to interact with when when they're healthy. In general, Me healthy too. numbers of any type are my favorite. Yeah, 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 I hear you. But sevens, sevens, like far and above, are some of my favorite people. Um, I I don't know if this is just because I go to seven or if there's just something about sevens in general. But when I'm around a seven, I let loose in ways that I do not with any other number. Um, and I've, I like, I can tell this to people. And I mean, it's, it's very obvious even like I can be around anyone that is a, that is another type on the Enneagram. And, and I can probably let go to some, t- to some extent when I'm, when I'm uh, moving to my seven space. Um, but there's always a part of me that, that oneness that wants to present a good front, mm. a perfect image. And there's always a part of me, part of my oneness that keeps me from fully letting go, except when I'm with a seven, for some reason, if I'm with a seven, doesn't matter who it is, what we're doing, I'm there and I'm doing it. It may take a little bit of coaxing, but almost without a shadow of a doubt, I will be able to let go and be spontaneous and do the fun thing and not care about schedules, not care about the rules or the routine. Um, now I, I will say as someone who is also introverted, I have a limited time frame that I can <laughs> be in that space. Um, I've actually timed it out. I've, I've got about a two hour time frame. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Unless you're going to say like, I have 20 minutes to be spontaneous and then I am done for the night. No, not <laughs> Two hours. I mean, that's pretty good. It, it's, I would say it's like a reasonable, and, and that also is dependent on like how tired am I by that point. But mm. on average, it's about a two hour time frame. Once I hit that two hour mark, it's like a quick crash. Like I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. But like the seven side of myself is like it encompasses all my favorite things about about me and about living life it it helps me like i've i've noticed whenever i'm able to um to incorporate my my seven perspective i'm able to focus more on on the future and not get so stuck in my head mm. um i'm able to again like kind of let go more and have fun and bring other people in on that fun um, often when I'm again, like in a position of like leading or helping run an event, um, or, or even like host people, uh, which is one of my favorite things to do. I love hosting people. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I'm in those spaces is bringing people together and helping them have fun as a group. Um, and, and I, I've gotten to a place where I'm able to do that really well and to be able to have fun while I'm doing it. Um, there's some days where it's harder than others, but, um, I, I really love being able to do that. Um, and I got this mother from my dad who is a three, um, and his motto is I'm willing to try within, within moral reason, I'm willing to try anything once. Mm -hmm. And I, I have very much taken that to heart. I love trying new things. Um, and this is usually shocked people, but I'm also very much an adrenaline junkie. I like, if it's an amusement park, I'm there. I will ride all the big rides, all the roller coasters. I will go on the highest of heights 
and plummet to <laughs> the ground at lightning speed. It is so much fun for me. Jumping out of planes. Um, is that something you, you fancy? That's on my bucket list. Okay. I want to, I want to skydive. Um, Jesse, which we should go, we should go skydiving. Cause I, yes. I don't, I don't have a path to seven, but sevens, there's so much, if I could be any type on the Enneagram, I would be a seven if I could in a heartbeat, just to know <laughs> what that life is like to always be seeking adventures. And so I'm excited when we get to seven, we'll talk to a, a lovely seven in our community, but um, yes, I cannot fun. wait to hear the seven. Podcast. You're like, it's like the, the image I had with your little two hour window. It's like someone bippity boppity booed you and you became, you got to like go to the ball for a couple hours, but then like midnight's come in and the, the, the shiny dress is about to fade away and the pumpkin carriage is about to turn back into a whatever a pumpkin a or pumpkin. an onion <laughs> or whatever it was like that's that's kind of the vision i have of like you, a white pumpkin of you turning yeah. into a seven for for a brief moment <laughs> that's that's pretty much what happened yeah. and and i will say uh again as i've kind of figured out how to navigate more of of the movement to four and to seven and being able to incorporate that um outside of like the I guess like the typical times of like growth or stress. Um, I've learned how to kind of bring in some of my sevenness to um, parts of my day where I may not necessarily want to have that as part of my life. Um, mainly at work is the big thing. I don't, I don't always want to invite seven into my workspace because sometimes that means uh, tasks and cleaning regimens get uh pushed to the side and ignored but it's such a crucial part for my line of work of connecting with my customers and even my coworkers of being able to for for a brief period let go have a little bit of fun crack a few jokes and then get back to work um and that's that's really helped me to be able to bring in bring in a little bit of sadness for a couple minutes of that again two hour window um, and kind of like spread it out a little bit um, yeah. throughout the day. So I'm not having to exert all my energy in one go, but I can still bring in a little bit of fun and lightheartedness throughout my day, which always benefits me. And it usually winds up benefiting the people around me as well. The visual, another visual I had, it's like, you mentioned being a, a list taker. It's like, I almost picture a piece of paper being crumpled up and not thrown out, but just like set aside for, for a little bit. Like you'll uncrumple the paper and you'll go back to your list eventually. But for now, the list can wait. You can throw it out for now and then come back to it. The faithful list yes. will be there when you when you wake up the next morning from your seven yes. hangover. <laughs> and I've, I've had times where I've done that, where I've, I've literally had like a list of things I have to do for, for the day or maybe for a couple of days. And then uh, I have... One one particular example in mind where a friend of mine who's a seven texted me and he was like, hey, I want to go to the beach and sleep out on the beach. You want to come with oh, me? Oh, man. And I was like, sure, why not? And I just literally dropped everything I had to do. I mean, I think I still had to work, um, but we, we adjusted it slightly with my work schedule. Okay. And then it was the key uh, to your work. heart. <laughs> Away <Yeah>. you went. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. literally that's that's what happened. We went, we stopped by and watched the movie that was kind of spontaneous. Just watched the movie, went to the beach, slept on the beach, which is illegal. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> once again, he's a seven and I did it anyway, even though that was literally breaking the rules. A pretty 
I wouldn't say a significant rule, but it was breaking the law for what the beach rules are, I guess. I don't and know you know, you know the rules. So you were, it's not like you I were, know the rules. you were not ignorant of that. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, no, it's fun fine. to hear about all the, all the 70, all the 70 funness because these other guys commented too. And just this kind of like dropping your guard down a little bit in a, in a healthy way. Here's, here's what our said to finish this out here. Um, someone said, my friends and I joke that I have an alternate personality that sounds a lot like seven. In certain environments, camp retreats, for example, I really come out of my shell and I'm more jovial, outgoing, and spontaneous. At those times, I feel less boxed in by my sexuality. I feel freer to relate to other people without it being a major factor or something I worry about in those relationships for better or worse. And then someone else kind of took a specific example to that and said, uh, I describe my seven security as my thriving. I'm more down to do different activities. I'm making more jokes, being goofy. I'll be dancing and a lot more affectionate. I noticed that there's a lot less anxiety with showing physical affection toward other guys. My friends described hanging out with me like this, as we know we're going to have a good time, but everyone is also going to be safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would definitely say when, uh, when I'm in my seven space, my, what people comment most to me is you look happy, you look joyful. Um, and it, it's, I, I feel like a lot of that's because I'm very carefree. And, and I think especially what the, the second Yabber mentioned about showing physical affection um, towards any of my guy friends, like I, I become the, the more, um, the more I let go, the more fearless I am of, um, I guess, I guess showing and representing my, my queerness. Yeah. Um, and part of that comes out in my, my physical affection or, or just any, any other form of affection. Uh, I'm not afraid to show my, my guy friends straight or otherwise that, that I love them, that I care about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of this, the sense of seven that I get through the lens of, of one going in, into security is kind of a less rigidity, more carefree, less guarded, um, in a, in a sense, like not caring what other people think in a healthy way. Cause there's room for that. There's room for that in all sorts of ways, but at the end of the day to just to love somebody because they're your friend, because you love them, um, whether that involves physical touch or otherwise, and just to be, um, to be the fun person that, we all know you are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, if you love a one, here's how we're going to end the conversation. If you have a one in your life, this is how you can love the one in your life well. They say this, remember that even when they're healthy, they still love improving things. Their biggest needs in the relationships are finding time to make the world a better place as a team and then to relax. This is not only their desire, it is their gift. You too will be on the road to improvement if you choose to partner with a one. Sometimes that's even unconsciously why you picked them, because you knew that they would keep you on the straight and narrow. Ones are in the anger triad of the Enneagram. They're inclined to have anger and a harsh critical voice that can be turned both inward and outward. Why aren't they better? Why aren't I better? They're often their own worst critic. Knowing this about them, you should encourage self-care. And try to remember that when your one is trying to reform you, it's because they're wired to see problems. Work on your stuff then. However, don't take it on if it's not yours to deal with. Also, steer them toward fun as a reward after medium to large segments of hard relationship work. If you're with the one, remind them that you may have different gifts than them. Let them know 
You're never going to give up on self-improvement, but that you don't want them to judge or critique you. Help them to understand framing things more positively and realize that their very gift for seeing errors can be positive, but can also have a negative impact on you. For ones, finding this balance can be a lifelong issue for them to work on in all of their relationships. Yes, all of that was extremely accurate. Um, I was, I would say especially the, the part about ones being wired to see problems is, has always been a struggle for me. And I think one of my biggest areas of growth personally, even if other people haven't been able to see it is how I've approached, um, addressing problems to people, um, or addressing critiques that I have and being able to say, look, here's what I see that's going on that needs to be fixed. Um, it could be something in my workplace where a coworker is doing something incorrectly and they need to, and they need to be corrected. Um, or a friend where I'm seeing some problem areas in their life that I think are, are really harmful. And if they don't correct them are gonna lead to a worse spot for them. Um, but being able to say, look, here's what I see that's going on wrong. Um, but here are also some really great things that you are doing. And here are ways that I can still affirm you positively and being able to say, look, even though here, even though these are areas where you might not be doing the best, these are some areas where you have some great strengths and have a different perspective than me. Um, and that's been, that's been a huge growing point for me is being able to, to take that on and apply that practically in my relationships. Um, I would also say all, all of that, uh, all of the things that Truity said um, in that kind of little blurb about how, how to love and care for ones um, will not happen if the one does not allow you in to see their mess. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a huge aspect for ones where um because because we're so overly critical, um, we we want to make sure that the people we're letting in are are going to be mutually beneficial for us. So like I, I want people in my life who are who are going to care for me, but also like help me achieve that that reform, that quote unquote perfection that I'm seeking for myself and also for them. Um, I, it's kind of like a both and type of thing. Um, and, and that may not be something that everyone is able to necessarily verbalize for themselves, but I do think that is kind of at the back of our minds whenever we're going into relationship is how, and this, this kind of sounds bad out of context, but how can this person benefit me? Um, and then vice versa, how can I, how can I benefit them? For sure. Um, yeah, it's always really, it always sounds bad whenever I say it that way, but it it truly is because I, I want, I want to be better. Um, I'm seeking to be better. And so I want people who are going to help me achieve that. Um, and I think also as a, as a final side comment, uh, one of my old coworkers who I'm still really good friends with, um, began calling me her Jiminy Cricket as Jiminy we were working Cricket. together okay, because yeah. I, uh, when we got to a point where I could do this in our relationship, I would, I would call her out on her crap and be like, look, 
you're doing all these really unhealthy things. She's also not a Christian. And she understood my beliefs and where I was coming from. And I was like, look, if you keep doing these unhealthy things, regardless of what your faith is, it's going to end badly for you. And then she'd be like, I know you're just being my Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, We're doing so much, but, so much Disney love here tonight with our know, Cinderella reference, them. Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, that's amen, Disney, amen. not a sponsor of the show, but um, this has <laughs> but been, be one day. yeah, yeah. Who knows someday, but this has been so good, Jesse. I know, I know I could talk about this with you and I'm sure you could probably reciprocate for many, many hours, but this is a good little teaser, a good little snapshot of the one experience. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing in all these areas, thank you for just opening up for the first time, no less, on on this convo cast. Like, what a what a joy to be able to pick your brain and learn some of your your story today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been such a fun time. Like I said, some of my favorite stuff to talk about. So, always down to talk more about the Enneagram. Yeah, maybe if yeah, Enneagram winds its way back into conversations in the future, maybe we come back and dive back into the into the well with you. I'm sure, I'm sure though that you have plenty to offer in other conversational topics, no doubt. So we'll have to, we'll have to stay tuned. I just, if nothing else, I love going back to the city of Oaks for somebody that's not named Ryan. Like that's so fun to me. (laughs) (laughs) And and we referenced weird Jesus who's, who also hails from the city of Oaks. And so we've just Mm -hmm. got so much love for the city of Oaks here on this episode. I mean, it's a great city. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty great. I quite like it. I'll have to come back and visit sometime. Uh, <laughs> the Enneagram journey, y'all, It's we're just getting started. That completes our gut triad. Mr. knows the right methodology, knows how to do everything. That's that's how we're capping this, uh, this triad of eight, nine, and one. From here, we move to my zone. We move to my layer, the heart triad of twos, threes, and fours. Um, so stay tuned next week for an Enneagram 2 conversation that I'm really excited to have as we talk to a 2 and ask him, why are there so many 2s in our community? There are so many. and That's a great question. There are way <laughs> too many 2s in our community. We're about to really, the, the cup will be truly overflowing when we get to our, I'm expecting, knowing how 2s are the way that they are, I'm expecting 20 people to give feedback for the two episodes. So stay tuned for some some yabber feedback on the twos next time. Very overwhelming, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesse will be judging silently from afar. He won't be on the episode, sadly, but we we can know what Jesse will be processing as the episode unfolds. <laughs> Jesse, I'll be judging silently and maybe not so silently. So Jesse, I want you. So I want you to judge me silently in a room one day. But I also want to go on an adventure with you with a seven. So let's find a seven, and then the three of us hang out. I would, I, I would be love that because I love sevens and I love hanging out with sevens too. But I would yes. love to see specifically how you change in that environment i would just be down to experience it's a drastic that. change <laughs> for sure i'm excited you piqued my interest and my curiosity um <laughs> thank you so much for coming on it's been a joy i hope it's not yes, the last thank time thank you for having me i look forward to next time when we're able to hang out i do as well and that's all you guys until we cast our next any convo see you next time <laughs>